Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 6, if you will. Yesterday, I attended a pastor's conference up in Asheville with the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in Manhattan named Jim Cimbala. Anybody ever heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, one of the best choirs in the United States, Pastor Jim Cimbala? And man, if I get a little fired up today, it's all because of yesterday. I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you what. We came down to the altar and he asked us to uh, pray with the person beside of us. And I turned around and there was about a four foot six Chinese pastor named Joseph. And uh, I said, brother, let's pray. And he started praying over me in his Chinese accent. Lord God, bless Pastor Jesse. And I'm telling you what, it just, it just, it just broke. And I just broke apart. I just started boo-hooing all over this little Chinese guy. I started embracing him. And it was, he got done. It was time for me. And I just couldn't even pray. I was like, God, bless Pastor Joseph. And he said, man, you just got touched. And I said, yes, sir, I did. So anyway, it was good. It was good stuff. I hope somebody gets touched tonight. Let's stand as we read Romans chapter 6. We're going to read 1 and 2 for context and focus on 3 and 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Remember that Greek word, meganoito. How shall we who died to sin any longer live in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus or baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. May God bless his word tonight. My question I have to begin us this evening is, what is the nature of our baptism? Now, if you're a member of a Baptist church, at some point you were baptized by immersion. Why do we do that? What does that symbolize? Yeah, well, it says it symbolizes we're made clean. Yeah, that's not just it. We're lowered. And this is why, well, one of the reasons we're Baptists is because we believe biblically the symbol of immersion being lowered into the water represents that we have died with Christ. We are lowered as the old man who dies And raised as the new man who's now alive. Just as Christ was raised from the tomb, we are raised out of the tomb and now alive in Christ Jesus. And you know, we can pick with the Presbyterians and the Methodists, but sprinkling just doesn't give you that connotation. Amen? We're okay. Listen. (laughs) I mean, praise the Lord. The Greek word is baltizo. It means immerse. Immersed into death. Immersed in His grace. Immersed in His mercy. Completely covered. What is the nature of that? What were we baptized into? What is the symbolic cleansing agent that does the work? It's not the water. I've shared this story before. One time I had a guy, he was formerly a Seventh-day Adventist. And he was coming to our church in Greensboro, and he had left the Seventh-day Adventist on and on, and he was ready 
to get right with the Lord and to be baptized. And he says, man, I can't wait to be baptized to feel clean. I said, brother, you don't have to wait to baptism to feel clean. You're clean now through Jesus. He says, no, you don't understand, man. Once I'm baptized, then I'm clean. Well, I come to find out in their denomination, they believe in regenerational baptism. That baptism is the generating act of newness. And I really didn't want to do it. But I'm going to tell you what happened. The baptistry broke. And it was like during the wintertime, that water was like 42 degrees. I think Justin and Serena, they had cold water. That was nothing. This guy had cold water. I don't know. But it's not the water that's the cleansing agent. What is the cleansing agent? Was it the life of Christ that makes us clean? He lived a perfect life, never sinned. Lived by the letter of the law every day of his life. That's amazing in itself. What is it? Was it his life that makes us clean? Was it his resurrection that makes us clean? Was it his love? If it was his love, he wouldn't have to die. It was his death that makes us clean. Now this seems morbid. Seems dark and mysterious that the Son of God cleans us in His death. See, none of us associate death with clean anything except for Christ. What happened in that death? We were reconciled to God. We were jointed with God in the person of Christ. In the death of his body, we were supernaturally connected to Christ Jesus and to God in his death. So when Paul says, do you not know we're baptized in his death? He's saying, it is him on the cross for our sin that we're baptized into. It is the bloody Jesus hanging there, the, the Jesus with nails. Not the six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus that the movies talk about. Not the Jesus of Christmas time. Not the Jesus painted in the pretty pictures with the halo. Not the, not the sexy Jesus of the Hollywood movies. That's what they say about the Son of God, that it's another sexy Jesus. All the Hollywood movies, they have this nice, buff, strong-looking man. The Scripture says there's nothing becoming about his appearance except when he's on the cross. That's when we see the beauty of God displayed by pouring his wrath on Christ so that he would die. What was it that crucified him? It was our sin... That caused him to die. So here's what Paul's saying. He says, how can we live in sin when that's what killed Jesus? How can we continue in the things 
that crucified our Lord that you believe in. You say you believe in the crucified Lord and he was crucified for our sin. So how is it that you and I can continue in sin when sin was what put him there in the first place? Meganoito. What was it that crucified him? Every cuss word that we've said. Every angry thought that we've had against our family, against our neighbor, against our enemies, against black people, against Mexicans. I'm going to tell you what, Jesus died for Mexicans. Did y'all know that? We said we don't need to press one for English. Let me be honest with you, you need to press one for Native Americans. They were here first. So we can get off our white high horse. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Everybody's against immigration. None of us would be here. (laughs) Stricter immigration, man. They would have booted us out a long time ago. Native Americans have been like, heck with this. And we all make fun of the, the, the immigrants. We make fun of the politicians. And Christ died for those. Christ died for the boys in the ghetto with their saggy pants. He did. And we're out judging them when we should be sharing the love of God with them. Matter of fact, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary, he just wrote an article that says we need more tattooed people in the church. Let me, let me explain this to you before you get all judgy on me. Let me go ahead and tell you a story. Guy visited our church four weeks ago. He was a visitor, a new family. My wife and I decided to take them out to eat. He told me this story. He said he went to Mount Pleasant to visit a church. They were having a hot dog sale on a Friday. I don't know which one of them do it. Went and visited a church, walked in, got himself a hot dog, sat down. The pastor greeted him. He's like, man, this is a nice church. Hot dogs, awesome. This guy's not a believer. Pastor comes in, starts talking to him, says, hey, you married? He says, nah, nah, I just got back from 12 years of Marine Corps. And uh, I'm in school now, I'm living with my girlfriend. Pastor says, oh, you're living in sin. And the guy said, do what? Pastor said, you're living in sin, brother. <laughs> do you think he went back to the Methodist church? Not at all. You see, when Jesus encountered the woman who had just committed adultery, who was laying down there in guilt and shame and humility, his words were not, you're living in sin. He said, where are those who accuse you? It was grace that picked her up. And he says, go and sin no more. It's not a message of judgment. And you see, the the, the image that we have portrayed is a judgmental image that we, we don't want a certain type here. We don't want the piercings here. We don't want the, the hairstyle. Or we don't want the tattoos or something like that. He says, you know what? The people with tattoos, and he wrote this story. He said he was in church, and he sees a guy who, who's, who's got a tattoo of a, a naked lady in church. And he turns over to his grandma, and he says, do you see that naked lady? 
And his grandmother says, son, he doesn't know Jesus yet. You see? We're judging people for something that has nothing to do with them and Jesus. Right? Who does Christ call us to judge? He calls us to judge the fruit of the ones in the church. Not the outside of the church. Do you know why the ones outside of the church sin? Because they're sinners. Once we figure that out, we'll start loving people and stop judging people. Christ died for their sin. He died for the angry thoughts. He died for the unforgiveness. He died for every lustful thought we have. It was his death of those sins that cleanses us from sin. It cleanses us from sin so that we'll be removed from it, not stay in it. That's what he's saying. He says you can't live in sin when Christ has cleaned you from sin. And he goes on to say, we therefore were buried with him. We were buried. You see, it's not just the death that we were baptized into, but we were also baptized into his burial. So what must die in us? What must die is that not just our sin, but our will. Do you understand when I say the will must die? The will is the root bed of our desires. The will is the root bed of our wants. Everything we want is the will. The will must die. Now this, guys, I'm going to just be honest with you. I have a hard time understanding this. I have a hard time doing this. I have a hard time applying this. And I think that's part of the growth of Christianity is understanding that every day the will must die. I read a quote from Joel Osteen today. He says, if you are content with the life you have, God will give you the life you want. Now, I took a logic class in college. I didn't minor in philosophy. I took a few philosophy classes. One was logic, okay? Folks, that's ridiculous. How can I be content if I still want another life? Be content with what you have, and God will give you the life you want. If I want something else, I'm not content. You see? I get tired of coffee mug Christianity. It looks good on a coffee mug, but it don't work. (laughs) It looks good on a t-shirt, but it don't work. The key to contentment is that the want has to not exist. Contentment means there's there's no want. Contentment means everything I have, I'm content with. So if there's still a want, I'm not content. You see? We must kill the want. We will not find contentment in Christ as long as the want still exists. The the want must be crucified. The will must be crucified. It must be buried with Christ. The will must be buried. Or it's I who still live, not Christ. 
Pastor Jim Cimbala told me a quote. Well, he said this yesterday. Oh, you know who I sat right behind? You, you've seen the Courageous movie? Courageous? The pastor of their church that makes the movie. Him and his wife were just right there. There, was, there wasn't 100 people at this event. It was amazing. He said this. Jim Cimbala said, Jesus was the weakest human being that ever lived. Now, wait a minute. I said, do what? Jesus was the weakest human being that ever lived because Jesus said he could do nothing unless the Father told him. He could do nothing unless the Father told him. Jesus, his entire life was no will, no want, only the Father's glory, only the namesake of the Father, so that your name be glorified. And God said, I have glorified my name and will glorify it. That's why Jesus prayed, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will. Wow. Thy will. Not me, but thee. That the epitome, the, the, everything of Jesus' life was he had no will. And here he is, he's the model human being who had no will. Every day of his life, it's not me, it's what the Father wants. What the Father wants. What does the Father want in my marriage? What does the Father want in my house? What does the Father want in my job? What does the Father want in my church? You know what splits most churches? What, what kills most churches? The will. The will. Well, I want church at 6.30. Man, I, I talked to a pastor yesterday. And you know, on Wednesday nights, we stand, we read the Word of God. It's a little different, right? Well, he was a new preacher. He gets to the church, and he just preaches on Sunday. Well, see, their preacher before him made everyone stand on Sunday. He didn't know this. So one Sunday, this lady goes around to 30 people. She says, we're going to stand when the preacher reads the word. Sunday morning service, preacher been in about three months. If you like, open your book. It's to Luke. He opens it up. Man, 30 people stand up. What in the world? The Holy Ghost just fell upon the congregation. He didn't know what's going on. He just kept on going. The lady says, how dare you not ask people to stand for the word of God? He didn't know what to say. The lady left the church. He left the church. I mean, all you had to do was say, preacher, would you mind asking us to stand? Sure. That never happened. No, no, we're going to corral 30 people and protest during the church service. I'm standing. And then leaving. Man, what glory does God get? What glory? That glorifies self. That glorifies me. That glorifies I. That glorifies the will. I think you should do it this way. It don't matter. We can close our eyes and have Babylon cassette tape. It's the word of God. That's what matters. That's the problem in the church. It's not... <laughs> It's not too little of Jesus, it's too much of us. 
Once we decrease, He increases. Can I preach five more minutes? Can you imagine if every source of fleeting pleasure in your life faded away and the only thing on your agenda today was simply the will of the Father? Can you imagine if every want that you have, well, when I come home, I want my wife and my kids to act this way. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> every day, I want to come home to a peaceful household. Wife's in there making dinner. Tyler's in there working her heart out making dinner. Roman's just beating on her, wanting something. Will you get your son? Man. <laughs> Come on, somebody, be real with me. She ain't looking right now. <laughs> Let me tell you, 20-minute car ride home, it's only quiet all evening. You get home, it's war zone. You, walk, you take a long walk to the door. How many of you do this? You get out of your truck. It's like last day of school. <sighs> Somebody call me right now. Somebody call me. <laughs> Open the door. Boom! It's on. And I can get disappointed about it. Because my will wants something different. What if we just put the Father's will in front of us? See, we used to wear those bracelets. What would Jesus do? The answer is nothing. Unless the Father told him. Mm. What did Jesus do? Nothing. Unless the Father told him. Hmm. Somebody, when you see this tonight, I'm going to tell you what you'll get free. You'll get free from the puny little wants that we have for our own life and start opening our eyes to the will of the Father and what He wants for us. This little Chinese guy, Pastor Joseph, you know what his church is? His church runs an inner city community garden. And as people come work this community garden, they just love them with the love of Christ. Last year it produced 13,000 pounds of vegetables from four foot six Pastor Joseph. He said, we don't have a building. We just have the love of God. And 13,000 vegetables. That's amazing. That's amazing. People from the community come in. <laughs> and man, they're working under zucchini and Pastor Joseph's over there. <laughs> Are you having a good day? That's unbelievable. I mean, hey, that, that's innovative for the kingdom. Wow. You know what Jim Simbola said? For 300 years, no one had a church building. There was no public church building for 300 years. And that's the fastest growth time of the entire Christian community. <laughs> it went from 12... To worldwide with no church building, no budget, no PowerPoint, no pulpit, no microphones, no Awana ministry. 
No Sunday school. No, 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 no curriculum. No library. They didn't even have the printed word of God. And 3,000 were added to the kingdom in a day. And daily people were being saved. And man, we sit back on our blessed assurance thinking people just going to walk in the doors of the church. Shoot. Which one do we desire today? We can follow our own plans and be unhappy or we can follow God and be satisfied. You see? If we remove the self, if we remove the will, the only thing that remains is Jesus. <laughs> every dilemma we face, every person that we have a problem with, every bit of anger that we have against somebody is because the will is dominant, not the spirit. See, we want to say, how should I deal with my anger? How should I deal with this person? Problem ain't the person. The problem is you. The problem is me. Because Jesus' entire life was filled with people who literally wanted to kill him. You know what he did? He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. That's how he ends. We were buried with him through baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. Do we have new life? Or do we have same old, same old life? New life or same old, same old. Everybody else is going to go home. They're going to see who won the voice. Going to go home. Your kid's going to take a bath and we're going to check Facebook for 15 minutes. That's true. Same old, same old. Or new life. You see, when Christ gives us a new heart, what it desires is his glory. So every day you've got to realize the flesh wants this, but the spirit wants this. Who are we going to listen to? The flesh or the spirit? Kill the will every day so the spirit is strong and obey the spirit. Father, not my will, but thy will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you tonight that we know this is not possible without your Holy Spirit in our life. Without your Holy Spirit's guidance with us every step of the day, every single second of the day. God, I pray that you'd be glorified in our life, be glorified in our testimony. Lord, as we go out from this place, I pray that we would just exude the love of Jesus in our conversations, in our godly actions, Lord, in our wisdom, whether it be in the parking lot or whether it be in our households or whether it be at the grocery store. God, that we just infect people with the love of Christ. So that you are glorified, not us, but you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.